Welcome to the Free Retiree Show. My name is Lee Michael Murphy. I've been in wealth management for the last 10 years right in the heart of the Silicon Valley. People have always asked me, how do I achieve financial independence? And while the financial world wants you to believe it's as simple as investing your money, I'm here to tell you it's a small piece of the puzzle. I've seen four consistent factors in the people that have achieved financial independence. One, they excel in their career. Two, they manage their money properly. Three, they're able to avoid devastating financial mistakes. They can see through the BS. And lastly, they understand they need to learn from the best, the people that have achieved success in their career and their finances. Join us on our journey as we learn how to become free retirees. Welcome in, boys and girls. You're listening to another episode of the Free Retiree Show. I'm alongside career advisor extraordinaire, Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? And we are also alongside Silicon Valley's favorite attorney, Matthew McElroy. What's going on? Nothing much. Happy to have you guys today. So today we got a great business and thought leader edition. We're bringing on Ryan Sterling. He is a wealth coach. He's a best-selling author. And he just had a book go out that is making amazing traction. It's called, You're Making Other People Rich, Save, Invest, and Spend with Intention. And his book was ranked number one on Amazon under the wealth management category. This guy's blowing up. So Serge, you you found Ryan. And you're like, we got to bring this guy on. He's going to be an amazing asset for our listeners. Tell me, tell me more about him. Yeah, you know, I think, well, actually, first, the title of his book just really stood out to me. You're making other people rich. And then I automatically felt dead inside because I work for uh, Facebook and I'm making them rich. But uh, <laughs> no, the idea of just like ownership, the ownership mentality and just in this COVID world, like we need to have multiple revenue streams. We really need to figure out and be able to pivot if our industry is disrupted. So I think like I think it's just going to be a really good episode and timing is incredible. Yeah. One thing that stood out to me about his book is it's all about like mindfulness, right? Creating wealth with intention, which is so important because, you know, in my career, um, I've seen it all. I've seen the people that make tons of money and they really don't have anything on paper because their relationship with money. It's how they spend it, how they treat it. And on the other side of it, I've seen people that don't come from money. They don't make a lot of money but they have the right relationship and they're able to do amazing things. And so it goes on both sides. There's this you know, story out there that, oh, well, if you make a lot of money, you came from money, you're going to be fine. And I can tell you that is absolutely false. Um, I've seen the opposite and um, it's, it's amazing what you can do with the right mindset. Uh, but before we get into it. Uh, I mean, it'd be nice to come from like a lot of money, though. Like, it would be, but you would, be you, it would be, but you would be surprised. And I, and I, you know, Ryan's in the same line of work. You would be amazed at how many of those people drain that money. I have yeah, yeah. tons of stories about these people that have all the money that lose it all. And I'll share that. But before we get into it, I want to ask you guys, what's the dumbest thing you have spent money on either now or in your past. Let's, I think, you know, we put it out there on the free retiree show. We want to be open and transparent with our our mistakes. So I know on this show with our co-host and myself, we got a lot of mistakes. So if you guys can't think of anything, I'm going to call BS on that. So uh, Serge, why don't you go first? Dumbest thing I've ever purchased. Um, Give me a second. Matt. (laughs) Go ahead, Matt. I I got one. Um, Probably, I think I was, I had to be like 20 and I bought a set of spinners for my car. 
Spinners? Spinners, Whoa. yeah. You, you, know, I don't think, you never saw them because they never went on, but, you know, they sat in the garage for a long time. There you go. Matt. And usually, you know, spinners have to be like, what, at least 20-inch wheels, right? Yeah, I bought 18-inch spinners, so, you know. Yeah, it was but Matt, dorky, dorky white guys like yourself don't buy spinners. <laughs> yeah, and it didn't really fit my kind of car either, so it was kind of just a bad choice all over. <laughs> wow! Overall. Matt might have just won this contest. Okay, guys, so if you so, guys don't know I, spinners, I, I, I got to give the listeners context. Spinners... You, you like drive your car, you stop at a stoplight and there's these metal things that spin on your hubcaps that just keep spinning. Like someone thought that was cool. All right. Amazing, Matt. You, you, Definitely early 2000s. You're going to win this. Uh, Serge, what's yours? You're going to win. Cause I, so for the listeners, I'm like pretty frugal. So like guys like Ryan Sterling and Lee that talk about saving, like I, it's all up on my alley. Like I don't spend a lot of money, but what I did do when I was in my twenties, I had no idea what credit cards were. And I racked up a few credit cards with lots of dumb purchases. Um, so I'd say like my use of credit cards were very, was very stupid in my twenties. Okay. And I'm going to kind of echo that. Like when, uh, I was in my early twenties, I was working at places like general nutrition center, 24 hour fitness, uh, worked at a hotel resort and I was making, you know, a little above minimum wage. And basically I had girlfriends at the time, literally plural. I don't know. Single part. I don't know. Okay, girlfriends. You know. Yeah. They have multiple. We can girlfriends. edit that out. Let's. let's <laughs> no, we're keeping it. Who cares? It's a long time ago. But um, the uh, the problem was everything I was making, I was spending on dinners, going out, and like you know, little gifts for my girlfriends. Like it was, and you think about it at, at the time. Like if you're a young college student or you're just fresh out of college a big common mistake I see is people want to spend all this money on their significant other and, you know, doing all these fun things. And the reality is it's a really strong chance. You probably won't end up together and, you know, you shouldn't be spending a hundred percent of what you make on, you know, fun stuff. So, but I look back on it and I'm like, wow, that was really stupid. Like, why was I going to school and working? It was totally pointless. Like I should have saved that money and done something useful with it. So that's, that is my past financial trans- transgression. Hey, Matt um, wins. I thought sure. I but, thought you were gonna say you're a Mercedes. So don't even don't even go there, Matt. Because I mean, you don't drive it. Matt, Matt, you have spinners on your car. Shut your mouth. <laughs> All right, guys. They're in my garage. I'll sell them to you. <laughs> Please put them back on. Put them back on. They're cool. They're 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 in style now, as they were in style when you got them. So um, we're gonna go to quick commercial break but when we are back we're going to be sitting down with ryan sterling really excited he's going to give you guys all kinds of great advice and uh yeah stay tuned really pumped for this episode we'll be right back Welcome back into the Free Retiree Show. We are sitting alongside with Ryan Sterling. Over the past few years, he has been mentored in Business Insider, 
CNN Money, Huffington Post. And now he has reached the pinnacle of his career and has the best media outlet, The Free Retiree Show. Ryan, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today, man? It's good to be on. I'm super pumped to uh, be on this amazing platform. We are we are stoked. Uh, you know, I saw the CNN Money, the Huffington Post, the Business Insider. You have you have made your best decision yet. Yeah, no, man. I'm uh, a fan <laughs> of the show. I've uh, I'm proud to be uh, an alumni after uh, after this finally gets published. You made it, Ryan. You finally made yeah, it. I know. I feel good. <laughs> so, Ryan, give <laughs> us a background on your book. Like your book is. It's trending right now. People are talking about it. People love it. So what is the book about? And like, why'd you do it? Yeah, I mean, I basically wrote the book that I wish I would have read back 10 years ago. And so I just kind of quick background on myself. I've been a financial advisor close to two decades now, which is crazy to say. And I this is about five years ago or so. I had one of those moments where I I was checking off all the boxes. I was at the firm I wanted to be at. I had the position that I wanted, you know, the title that I wanted. I was making the income that I thought 10 years earlier would be my I made it number. And I had one of those moments towards the end of the year, which kind of coincides with my birthday, where I looked around and I said, I have everything I ever wanted, but I feel miserable. And when I looked back and I said, like, like, why, like, how come, how come this didn't deliver what I thought it would? And I just kind of like looked at the lifestyle that my wife and I created, you know, we'd become victim to something called lifestyle creep, which is every time you make more money, it becomes an invitation to spend more money. So if you make an extra 50,000, you spend an extra 60,000. If you make an extra 100,000, you spend an extra 120,000. More money becomes an invitation to develop more expensive habits. You can go to nicer gyms. You can go to nicer restaurants. You can go to nicer clubs. You can have nicer clothes. And when I was having this moment, I was like, I'm not where I want to be with respect to my financial position. And that even though I was making a good amount of money, I was dependent on the next bonus to keep this thing going. But then I also realized that I kind of hit a wall where I was working at a big corporation and yeah, I had the title that I wanted, but I, I kind of stopped the, the personal growth journey. And my wife and I, we just, I, I call it, we, we were consumers. We were consuming stuff. We were consuming bad energy. We were consuming bad food. We were drinking too much. And at the end of the day, that just, it, it caused me to just kind of tap on the brakes and say, wait a second, is this the life that I designed for myself? Is this a life that I've designed with intention or are we living a life that designed for us? And effectively this book, you're making other people rich, save, invest, and spend with intention, kind of documents the process that my wife and I went through over the three-year period from going to like attach to this lifestyle to detaching from it and now living a life on our terms. Wow. That's gold. I mean, that's audiogram special right there, Lee. Um, that's what? amazing. That really hit me. That resonates very strongly with me, just thinking about my career path. And as I've made more money, it introduces like, oh, we can kind of afford this thing now that we probably don't mm-hmm. need. Sorry, Matt, I think I cut you off, but that that's amazing. Oh, no, no. go ahead. Yeah, no, that's, no, I feel the same way. It was, it's, I think that this is like the perfect timing for this kind of advice because if there was ever a time for people to start changing their spending habits, it's right now. 
in during the pandemic and because you know just lifestyle in general is going to change so this is this is perfect perfect timing yeah it's funny how i mean you guys are in the bay area and when i went on this journey to say okay wait a second like we're living a life that was designed for us not by us and again, we were just caught in this cycle of consumption, I call it, where again, it was going to fine dining. It was, you know, having nicer clothes. It was like literally boxes upon boxes and upon boxes delivered every single day of stuff. And again, I go back to, we were, we were a consumer. We weren't an owner, right? We weren't an owner of our lives. And it was funny because I was looking at it's like, why is this so hard for us to fight the urge to consume? And I'm a financial advisor, which, you know, I should be good at this, but I wasn't. And, you know, the funny thing is, again, speaking of the Bay Area. Yeah. So without giving away all the secrets of your book, how, how does one fight back? I'm thinking right now, how do I fight against Amazon with the one click? It's so easy. Like, I want to go on there right now and buy something. I mean, how do we yeah, fight no, against I, our I, wives, Ryan? Like, I, I, th I think I, there's Amazon boxes coming to my house every day. Totally. I gotta shut this. Totally. I gotta totally. shut this down, Ryan. Tell me how I do yeah. this. Yeah. How do we? How do we do it? Well, so it's it's funny. It starts with a very simple question that has a very complex answer, and that simple question is, "What do you want?" But I had two constraints: your wants can't be more money, and they can't be material things. So, what do you want at the core of who you are? And I can tell you when I go through this exercise with people and when my wife and I went through this exercise, you know, we wanted, we wanted a better connection as a couple. We wanted more freedom. We wanted more autonomy. We wanted more agency over our lives. And when we actually sat down and said, what do we want? How would we design our perfect day? What would that look like? When we were able to document, you know, what do we want? What do we want our life to look like? What do we want our perfect day to look like? You can then, and then like, once you really get inside of you, you can then, before you're getting ready to consume, you can ask yourself the question, does this purchase, does it get us closer to that best life or does it take us away from it? So I'll give you a quick example. So, you know, right now we own our own business. Uh, again, I have a book out, I have a podcast, like it, my days right now, like I'm super excited to wake up for Monday because like we've designed this life and this business around what is providing meaning and purpose to us. And this guy that I know who lives in my neighborhood, super good dude. Uh, he's a he's an attorney. He works at one of the big corporate law firms. He's a corporate attorney. And every time I see him, he goes, oh, man, I hate working at the big law firm. I absolutely hate it. He's like, I would love to do what you do. I would love to own my own business, my own practice. And he's like, oh, but you know, it's just, I, I don't get how you do it. Literally, Two minutes later, he's showing off his brand new Mercedes that he spent $70,000 on. He's making sure he's telling me he spent $70,000 <laughs> on it. And he's telling me he bought that because he just got membership to this new club because he had to, he has to belong to this club because all the partners at the law firm belong at this club. Yeah. So here's a guy that has $40,000 in club dues and a $70,000 Mercedes that is that getting him closer to owning his own practice? No, it's getting him attached to the place that he hates going to. Wow. So this is a, that's an extreme example and obviously yeah. someone that makes a lot of money, but it was really thinking about the decisions that we're making. Is it getting us closer to it or is it just making us more attached to this life that's not serving us? Yeah, that's a great point, Ryan. Like, I think you and I can both attest to like, you know, human uh, spending behavior that even if you make a lot of money, there's people that inherit a lot of money, make a lot of money that end up with no money. Like, have you mm -hmm. seen that? Oh, 
all the time. And actually a counter to that, I actually had someone reach out to me, um, a guy, he's, he's retired, he read my book and he sent me a note totally unsolicited and said that, um, you know, he and his wife are in their seventies. They have $5 million liquid. They own their own house. And he said, I, I saw your book. It interested me. I read it. He's like, it's basically the process my wife and I followed. And he said, my wife and I never made more than $80,000 in our careers. But we, you know, use the philosophy of being owners of instead of consuming, thinking about the ownership mentality, owning stocks, owning real estate. And this is someone that's never made over $80,000 a year and is in the 70s with $5 million liquid and owning their own house outright. Whereas I see people in practice all the time who are the investment bankers, the attorneys, people who make between half a million dollars and a million dollars who are in serious credit card debt. I know someone who makes over a million dollars a year and has 25,000 in, in his 40s, $25,000 in savings, but also a 7,000 square foot house, three kids in private school, you know, all the luxury cars you can think of. So, so yeah, it's, it's a, I see people all the time that are victim to this lifestyle creep where they're owned by their stuff. Yeah. I, I, you know, going back to what you were saying, like the importance of figuring out what is important to you and what you want more of, you hear so often when, when you have these discussions with people, it's like, what do you want more? And they're, I want more money. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and you know what? It's like, you know, as a good financial professional, you have to like be able to get past that. And you have to be able to, as a, as a good human being, you have to be able to get past that. Because if you're stuck there, there's so many underlying problems. You have, like, you have no idea. So I will give a good example. Like, one of the disasters, um, you know, in my career was I had a client. I actually still work with the client, but they were always kind of struggling. The relationship with money was not good. It was always, how do I get more money? How do I get more money? Laser focused on it, but yet had no money. Um, ended up having a wealthy family member pass away. Got lots of money, lots of money. And I actually had the conversation. I was like, hey you can retire. You, you have the financial means to retire. Now you have a game changing event that you can do this and this with your money and this with your money. And you will never have to work. This person was like, well, I want more money. Yeah. I'm like, but you don't have to, you know I mean, for what mm -hmm. you, what you, what you want to do with your life, you don't need it. So yeah. what this person did is they got a business um, opportunity. They kept looking for business opportunities actually. And I actually talked them out of, to the first two, because they were just stupid ideas. And then the third idea, it was, you know, in, there was, it was a big grandioso like business idea. And they're like, there's this person involved, this person involved. I did the assessment of the company and I gave at least a dozen reasons why it was a bad idea after looking at the company for days. Didn't matter because there was all this potential money this person could have. Mm -hmm. Fast forward, company's gone. All the money that was dumped into it is gone. And that's a perfect example of someone that if you're just focused on money and you don't have mm -hmm. any depth behind it, you end up losing it. I mean, that's just kind of what I've seen. Yeah. I love that. And I, so actually, in every, there's a section of my book on this where, I mean, that story, what that tells me is that's a person where 
they don't need more money. They just need more meaning in their life. Exactly. And there's a part of my book where I talk about, we've, we live this life of pleasure today. And again, this is intentionally designed where we have food delivered to us. We have clothes delivered to us. You know, we, we, we can literally have anything that we want sitting on our couch all day long. Like we, we really don't have to do all that much today. And on the one hand, it's like, wow, this is a really pleasurable life that we get to, to live. But when you look at the data, when you look at how many people are financially insecure, when you look at the, you know, the health numbers and how 70% of U.S. adults are overweight, 30% of U.S. adults are obese, when you think about the, you know, the, the depression numbers and the fact that depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide, this life of pleasure that we're living has created this void of meaning. So one thing I talk to people about is, you know, especially when we're adults, you know, if you're you know, someone who's a mid-career professional, your mid-30s, mid-40s, whatever it may be, oftentimes you're pretty settled in your career and you're living in this life where your job becomes pretty, pretty cushy for the most parts. You know, you're, you're driving to work, you know, you have comfortable couches, we have big TVs, that we live this life where we're experiencing very little pain or personal growth. So one thing I talk about is reconnecting to hobbies, whether they're old hobbies that you'd like to do as a kid or whether it's new hobbies that you want to engage in. And once one case study I give is this guy that I knew who was a, um, he's an accountant in um, a suburban big city area. And, you know, he's somebody who he was living this life of consumption, this life of pleasure. And even though he was making a decent amount of money, he was financially insecure. And the piece of advice I gave him was like, you need to get uncomfortable you need to introduce more pain into your life. And he's someone that was really interested in the arts and he signed up for a community theater project. And being in a community theater project, it got him connected to being in this cohort of people who were entertaining, right? You know, you didn't have to go to Broadway, you can do it in your own community. But like being reconnected to him, it got him excited. It got him to grow as a person. It got him to be a part of, again, this community. And the funny thing is when he did it, he stopped consuming because he was now investing in himself, investing in his personal growth. And I think for me, you know, one hobby that I, um, that, that I decided to pursue was running. And it, when I first decided, wait a second, I, I am, this is not where I want my life to go. I couldn't just leave my job, you know, quit and start my own firm, but I knew that I needed a challenge. I knew that I lost touch with that personal growth. So the very first thing I did, I wasn't a runner at this point, but I signed up for a marathon and I was like, I needed something that scared me. I needed something that, that would push me. And I think about today, you know, I went running before this, this interview and I get so much joy and abundance by just putting on a pair of running shoes and going running. It's free. It doesn't cost me any money. It makes me feel amazing inside you know, it's, it's a healthy activity and I don't finish a run and feel like I need to go to Amazon and consume. Wow. Hey Lee, when's the last time you went running? <laughs> <laughs> Why you gotta put me on blast, bro? <laughs> hey, you know what? I would put a podcast in that category, personal growth, right? <laughs> yes, we need that. Um, that. That's amazing, right? I was, you mentioned something earlier about how your, your wife, you and your wife had that moment where you tried to figure out what, what was important to you. And I was the way I was thinking about it, I was like, well, for me, I think the idea of having more money is great, but it's really the idea of freedom. Mm -hmm. I think that's exactly. what people really want mm -hmm. is they, they don't want to have to go to that nine to five job every day. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to make their own decisions. So the way I'm thinking about it is what 
what can I do tactically on a day-to-day basis to get me to that point? If it means more money, that's fine. But it's really, I want to be able to wake up, hang out with my kids, hang out with my wife and do what I want every day mm-hmm. and still be uh, able to provide. I, I think you're hundred percent spot on. And I think that that was a big part of it where, you know, we went on this path and, and decided, wait a second, we wanted more freedom. We wanted more autonomy. We wanted to be able to work with the clients that we wanted to work with. We wanted to be able to, you know, again, I, I love the fact that on a typical Monday, if I want to go running at 10 AM, I can, right. It's like, I'm in control of my schedule now and my time. And we think about, you know, the assets that we all have. And we think about, you know, our home or our stocks or 401k, whatever it may be. The most important asset that we all have is time. And that's an asset that's eroding every single day and we don't get it back. So when I think about wealth, right, money is a huge component of wealth, but I I talk about this in the book, all of the areas of wealth in your life, the wealth of relationships, the wealth of, you know, the time that we have and how you're using that time. You know, I talk about adventure, right? There's a lot of, you know, who who has more wealth in their life? The person who makes a million dollars a year, but chained to their desk, you know, rotting under fluorescent lights, or the person who might make $100,000, but they're able to pursue adventures. They're able to pursue new, exciting opportunities. You know, so there's all of these different areas of wealth in, in our lives. And I think one thing that we wanted to do is make sure that we're not necessarily, that we're not just focusing on one area and becoming you know, cash flow rich, um, but making sure that we're, we're checking off all of the areas of wealth in our life. You know, and I will also say too, and I think this, this pandemic, I think is, opening a lot of people's eyes. And I think, you know, kind of talking about the career, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how, you know, let's give you a quick example in New York. There's this one company that I know where consistently for the last five years, consistently ranked as like the top place to work in New York city, one of the top places. And I've been to the office before. I mean, amazing place, like cool culture, cool people. They didn't necessarily pay the best, but the people I knew who worked there said, oh, but it's so amazing. You're willing to make a little bit less money because it's just an awesome, you know, office culture. And one owner, one person owned it. Okay. And when the shutdown happened in March, within two weeks, 90% 90% of the people were let go. And the reason I bring this up is that I am such a huge proponent today when you talk about freedom of not only is it to design your best life, but it's also to protect you because now more than ever, I, you know, you, I think you need to take control of your career and your outcomes to the extent possible. And I'm a huge proponent of entre- entrepreneurship. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be, you know, heroic, but it's one of those things where if you are, if you are dependent on a company for a paycheck, you have to understand that the company is going to do what's in their best interest at all times. And that's where that freedom piece came. It was not just about designing our best life, but it was also about making sure that we have more control over our future destiny and not putting it in the hands of a company. It's yeah. a mixture of freedom and security pretty much. Exactly. Exactly. And, and in many respects, I felt the riskiest thing was to continue living the life that we were living of consumption, being dependent on a company that when things get tough, are going to do what's in their best interest before what's in my best interest. And there's thousands of companies that did exactly what, I mean, that was one example, but I think to your point, a lot of people are sitting at home right now in that reality. 
That's right. And by the way, that, that the person who owns that company, they're not a bad person. I don't know them personally, but I, I know who they are. Yeah. They did what they had to do. Their company was, was shut down more or less. I mean, they have no ability right now to earn um, any revenue. So they did what they had to do and they have their own life. They have their own kids in private schools that they need to pay for. So they couldn't pay for their staff anymore. But I guess that I bring that up because again, when you talk about the freedom, the personal freedom that, that comes with, again, being more mindful with your money, but also just thinking about, you know, the, you know, pursuing different income streams that aren't making you dependent on a company that are actually freeing you from that. And that doesn't mean that, that we should all leave our jobs, but I think to the extent that you can make yourself less dependent on somebody else, I think it just makes you more at peace. Yeah. That's wonderful yeah, advice, man. I definitely agree. So Ryan, would you consider that, I mean, everything that we've talked about so far, it, it sounds like, you know, the average person, their, their relationship with money is, is toxic in a way. Mm -hmm. And it, it, and in some ways it controls them. And so in your book, you kind of go over ways to, for people to kind of disrupt that cycle and get out of that and those bad habits. And, you know, one thing that me and Leo always kind of battle on on this show is how much somebody should be able to save per month. <laughs> you know, what, what was it, Lee? What I'm, was that I'm, number I'm, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big believer in the 50, 30, 20. Um, so, you know, 50% essential, 30% discretionary and 20% saving. Ryan, Maz got beef with my my twenty percent well, goes to savings. You got to back but me up. No, here, but no, but you have to. What? But, but Matt, continue. But like, we're in reality, Ryan. We're, Lee's not in reality. Matt, go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, it, well, it's not even so much like I, I agree with that, right? I, I I think that is a you know a great model and everything, but is that realistic? I don't know. You know, because I mean, if you look at it, you have thirty percent discretionary and twenty percent savings. Like most people, that's that's fifty percent of their income on you know pretty much whatever they want. If you really want to categorize it, so it's like, do people really have fifty percent of their income to do discretionary and savings? I, that's a lot, you know what I mean. I just don't think the average Joe has that, and so, you know, and especially these people that we're talking about, right, that are going check to check and relying on these things, they're just not going to have that 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 extra money to be able to do those kind of things. So, I guess. What, what, what would you would give them advice to kind of turn that around? What, what's, a, what's a habit that they could, you know, use to, you know, get themselves out of that cycle? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. And uh, Lee, I'll tell you, I, I do like the 50-30-20. I think it's a good baseline. You know, the, the way that I think about this, though, is, you know, think about, you know, so again, defining what do you want? Okay, so let's start there. What do you want? Again, it can't be more money. It can't be material things. Okay, now, once we define what we want, once we've detached, and this is a big part about it too, is detaching from what the things, the, what the, the clothes you wear, the restaurants you go to, the clubs you belong to, whatever it may be, detach from the meaning that, that you assign to your self-worth, right? So when you, can, when you can get to the point where you realize, okay, the stuff, the material things aren't a definition of who I am. They don't represent of who I am at the core of who I am. Okay, great. But now when you actually get into the nuts and bolts of wealth goals, right? What do you want to accomplish with your wealth? You know, what do you think about with retirement? What do you think about with respect to if you don't own a home, do you want to own a home someday? You know, you know, savings for, for kids, college education, whatever it may be, what are your wealth goals that you have? Okay. Let's put each one of those goals in a container and now let's figure out what do we need to be doing on a monthly basis in order to reach those goals. And I let that drive the savings rate. 
So for some people that could be 10%, for some people it could be 50 or 60%. For some people it could just you know, end up being 20%. But, um, but I think your question though is, is it feasible? I think the answer is yes for a lot of people. I think though that detachment though is an important step to go through. So for example, you know, when people say, oh, you know, it's impossible to save money today. I, I, can't, I can't save 20%. So, okay, well, when I look at, you know, the most popular cars out there for sale right now, it's not uncommon that people who are making, you know, $50,000 a year are driving a $50,000 Ford F-150. <laughs> Right. Yeah. You know, when you think about, you know, there was a, um, a one of the um, a startup founder, he has like a sneaker app and he was being interviewed on CNBC and he was talking about when the six hundred dollar extra stimulus went away, that their sales went down. And it was the fact that, like, you know, people were using their six hundred dollar stimulus check to purchase shoes on the sneaker app. I mean, that just blows my mind. So when people people say that, like, oh, no, it's, it's so hard to save money today. No, like we live a pretty good life. And the reality of it is we have so much more than we need. Yeah. And I tell you, if you actually like, and I, I coach people, right? So I see it all the time. And I, I also, I don't want to say like my, my book, my approach, it's not anti-consumption, right? I'm fine with people consuming to the extent that it gets you to your best life and you're able to, to reach the goals that you have. Um, sometimes it may be even spending more in certain areas, right? The areas that add a lot of value to your life. But I think with a lot of people, and this isn't with all people, I know that there are people who are truly, truly, truly struggling out there. But I think for a lot of people that I see, they have a lot more capacity to save than they think they do. It's just that we need to really detach from what the stuff says about their status and significance. And, you know, to add on to that, I, that's, that's great insight, Ryan. Um, I think you and I coming from like, you know, similar backgrounds and a similar, um, you know, experience with working in the financial industry. Um, a lot of people, when they, when I tell them to save a certain dollar amount, they think about it as like, Oh, that's just cash. Am I checking, you know, a little extra cash? What can that do? But one thing that I think that makes me such a cheap human being, like, you know, it's, it might be my Asian heritage, but you know, it's also, I think, my understanding of the power of investing money over time on a consistent basis, right? Which I think there's a there's a lot. Most people they just understand money in the bank, money in my checking, money in my savings. But there's a whole another level when I talk about savings because the there is a massive difference in someone just saving a couple hundred bucks a month and putting it in their checking and savings. It is so much different than that person that's able to take it, I would say like, you know, one step further, but be 10 times more effective and invest that money into something like real estate or companies that make great profits. Mm -hmm. Like there is yep. a massive difference. And that's where I think Huge. a lot of listeners, they're, they're not connecting that part. So people look at, oh, what? He's a cheapskate because he wants to save $20. You know, I'll tell you what. Yes, I am a cheapskate. I, I'll, I'll own that up. <laughs> but- that $20 invested over 30 years is huge. And that's why mm -hmm. you have to think about time and money and how you spend. I, I totally agree with you. And, and that's you know a, a big theme that I go through in my book, but also just my practice is going from being a consumer to an owner. And ownership is the key to building wealth. I can't stress it enough. And so I have a, I have a case study in the book that... Um, so it was a woman that graduated college in 2006. 
And every single month at the end of the month, she put $500 into an S&P 500 index fund. Okay. So S&P 500 index fund just tracks the U.S. stock market and you can invest in it today. Okay. There's very little barriers, very little friction to invest in the S&P 500. So every single month, $500 saved and invested in an S&P 500 index fund. So what did that mean investing in the S&P 500 index fund? Well, by investing in the 500 largest companies, she was an owner of Apple. She was an owner of Amazon. She's an owner of Google, Microsoft. I mean, you know, you go down the list. So I tell people, go from being a consumer to being an owner. Instead of buying the new iPhone upon release, own Apple, the company. And again, you can do it in an S&P 500 index fund. So this person, end of the month, $500, 2006, all the way up through the end of 2019. Oh, wow. Through the, through the financial crisis, through it all. Nothing more, nothing less. $500 saved and invested in an S&P 500 index fund. And today she has over $200,000 in that accounts, all from $500 saved and invested at the end of the month. Went through ups and downs, right? But, but, but nevertheless, stayed consistent with it. So I tell people, I, I use that example, it's just $500. Um, and maybe you can't do $500 and I recognize that, but what if you can do $200? What if you can do $100? Now I, um, I teach financial literacy in the South Bronx, um, a, a very low income community. And I'm amazed when I go up there and give my talk. So I, I play basketball. I'm a huge basketball player. Um, when I say huge basketball player, meaning I play recreation basketball with a bunch of guys in their, their mid-30s. <laughs> so, uh, so I just want to make that clear. But, um, you know, my basketball shoes, I spent $40 on my basketball shoes. And, you know, I go up in the South Bronx and I see kids, you know, wearing the new LeBron James shoes that cost $350. And, you know, I sit there, I'm like, what if instead of buying those LeBron James shoes, what if you bought Nike stock instead? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is no endorsement of Nike. Right. But I guess like, what if you buy an S&P 500 index fund, which includes Nike? So don't just buy the shoes that, so I talk about this, like when, when you talk about ownership, there are two different assets you can own. You can own depreciating assets or appreciating assets. So like those shoes are depreciating asset. You know, once you wear them, they've lost value, but Nike, Nike continues to innovate. They continue to send, sell their products around the world. So it's skew that, 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 um, that, that dynamic from instead of just consuming depreciating assets, stop overspending there and instead consume the appreciating assets, be an owner. And people talk about today with respect to this, they call it, you know, you hear all of these different, you know, letters with respect to this recovery that we're going through, whether it's a U-shaped, a V-shaped, um, now the big thing is a K-shaped, mm -hmm. which a K-shaped recovery effectively means that you have two different types of people you know, the outcomes in this pandemic. You have the people who own the assets because the stock market's been up, who have done better and recovered pretty quickly. And the people who didn't own the assets, well, they're now worse off than they were before. So that's, again, you have this divergent path. Well, okay, I, I get that. So my whole thing is you can go to a Robinhood account, you can put 50 bucks in a Robinhood account and you can own the S&P 500, be on the upward slope, right? And the thing that, that really pisses me off today is that people, it's so easy to give people excuses. Well, well, the stock market's just for rich people. Look at the rich people recovering. No, it's for everybody. Mm -hmm. it is, the stock market is the most inclusive yes. force for building wealth out there. Again, you can open a Robinhood account. You could put $50 in it. You can do it $50 a month and you can own your share of the US stock market. Yeah, Ryan, it really is that easy. Ryan, so something I've always thought about is the idea of financial literacy, right? So 
why is it why aren't we taught about this when I'm six, 16, 17, 18? I know you just said it's it's such an inclusive world, but it's really not because lots of people when they're young don't even know how to use a credit card. They don't know about the stock market. So sure. is it because the system's intentionally designed so that we don't know and we just like struggle, struggle, struggle? But like why why aren't why aren't more people being educated on finance earlier on in their life? It's a really good question. I think you made a very interesting point in that there is, there is incentive for governments to get you to consume. And I'm not saying this is a grand scheme in yeah. Washington to make sure that <laughs> like we're not financially secure, but, but I also think, you know, it is interesting to, you know, why hasn't curriculum changed to update to include financial literacy? You know, I think part of it is just like, you know, the, the curriculum that we use is going back, you know, over a century old. And there's so much that people can learn today. I mean, think about like, you know, how do you use social media today? How to think critically, how to, yeah. you know, consume content in a reasonable way. That, that to me seems like a logical thing to include in school today, right? How to, how to discern between fact and fiction on social media, but it's not. Why? Because there just isn't the will to change it inside public education. So, um, but, but so I, I agree with what you're saying in that the sense that when I say it's an inclusive force, um, I, I understand the, the, the method of investing in the S&P 500 is, is inclusive, but I think what's not inclusive is the, the knowledge, the aware, like the, the awareness behind it, like the, the awareness, awareness of exactly. it. Oh yeah. It's totally, totally easy to that. do, but it's, how do we make more people aware how, of how easy it is to get in? I, I, I totally, totally agree. And I think that's where it's interesting though today. I mean, you do have the blogs, you do have the books. Now people have to know about it, but I do think, you know, it, it is, and, and this is part of the reason why I volunteer is that I, I feel it's so important for people to have the empower, empowerment, but, but also the entitlement behind it. You know, it's amazing. I talked to these kids in the South Bronx and, you know, when I talked to them about, you know, their, their 401k plans, like for, I'll give you a quick example. Like one of the kids worked at Chipotle and he was actually eligible for the 401k plan and there's a company match. And he said, well, you know, why would, why would they match me? I said, because you're valuable to the organization, right? They, they need you and they want you to be a part of it for a long time. But just the idea of, wait a second, like I'm valuable to this organization. Oh, and by the way, like I should get a company match because I'm a really good employee. But then also just thinking like, I have this 401k plan. This is an amazing tool to save. Wait, I, I, I should do this? Like, yes, you should, you know. So many people, again, in suburban communities, you know, they grew up with parents talking to them and demanding a 401k plan where some of these lower income communities, you know, that's just not talked about. And even if you have access to it, you're not, you don't know you have access to it. Or if you do know you have access to it, you don't know why you should be using it. So I think it's also incumbent upon people in the financial community to give back in that regard. And it's something that's been just such a huge part of my life. In, in that, um, again, being able to go into this community and make people feel empowered and entitled that, that they deserve to be an investor. Yeah, it makes sense. I think there's a huge opportunity for, especially like in the high school age, like for my, I have an eight-year-old and I'm, we're already talking about saving. I just think it's like crazy important right now. Totally. So it makes sense. I, I think, I mean, yeah. I think, I think it's a great thing is like for kids that like brands, get them interested in the stock market, right? Sh show them you know, again, that instead of LeBron shoes, well, what if instead we can buy a Nike stock? You can actually own the company. And I think there's just something that's so exciting and so powerful about that. Like you can, you, you're an owner, right? You walk into a Nike store, 
Like people are your company. <laughs> so Ryan, I want to go back to what we originally talking about, you know, when people were when they're trying to save money and there's this, you know, new thing in society where they make everything easy for you to spend money. How do people fight that? Like I see it all the time with my, my buddies, uh, you know, they, they see something they're out and about like, I'm going to buy it. Where's my card? Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it just happens so fast. And, mm-hmm. you know, same people that are struggling to, you know, save money and hold on to money and have issues, you know, with money. And, uh, how do how do we stop that? You know, because society wants us to take out our plastic card, take out our new the iPay, or you know, I forgot my card the other day when I went to the store, and I was like, oh man! And the the grocery the grocery uh, teller was like, or the checkout the checkout person was like, hey, you can just use your phone, and you, you have your you have your card hooked there. And I was like, uh, I guess I do, and the, the the transaction still happens. So how do we yeah. how do we battle that? Well, it's a really, really good question. It goes back to, you know, the fact that we're in this intentionally designed system where the friction points have been reduced to absolutely nothing. It's now, and this is where we need to be empowered. We are the ones who need to intentionally add back the friction points. Nobody's going to do it for us today. We are the ones that need to do it. So part of it is creating space between stimulus and response. So if it's creating, like, for example, I have certain clients where there's a rule before checking out online, you have to walk away for 15 minutes. Sometimes for certain clients, it's an hour. And just creating that space, creating that little bit of distance between, oh, I want to buy this. Okay, here's the push notification. Yep, pressing the button on my phone. Yep, one-click checkout. Oh, I'm going to step away for 15, 20 minutes. Creating that space can make a big difference. Um, You know, another one is altering your environment. Um, you know, I, I had, uh, someone wrote to me after reading the book and they said that they deleted all their apps. He said, one of the apps in particular was a sneaker app that they deleted. And I just, I think about this, that, you know, there was a time that existed where we didn't have these apps and we were just fine. And, you know, the fact that, that these companies want you to download their apps, there's a reason for it. They have your data. They know what, what you, they know your size, they know your style, they know what you like, they know when you're most inclined to buy it. They know when you're most vulnerable. So it's just a simple action as, you know what? I'm not shopping using apps anymore. And yes, like there are times where it might be convenient and you wish you had it, but I guarantee you by just taking those small actions, you're now putting more barriers, putting more friction up between you and spending your money. And then the last thing, and this might sound a little cheesy, but it actually works is when you go through and you, you say, okay, what do I want? When you go through that exercise, put together a vision board. What do you want your life to look like in three to five years? Put it out, put it in a place where you can see it. And now just think about that and think about when you, before you consume, is this getting us closer to that or is it taking us away from it? And again, now that's adding a friction point and that's, that friction point is your values, what you want. So I just, I, I can't stress these, this system, and it's, it's not designed because they're bad people, right? The venture capitalists, the retailers and marketers, this is their, this, this is their job, right? And I totally appreciate And by the way, like there's a lot of good that comes with it too, right? Mm-hmm. But I just, I can't stress enough that they're not going to be the police for you. We have to be, we have to police ourselves. Yeah, I've, I've been in meetings with those major apps that you guys are talking about <laughs> and teams intentionally design products to make it as easy as possible for us to purchase. 
Mm-hmm. And it's they're not it's not bad. No. But to your point, Ryan, it's like their job to make it so that when we open that app, there's as many there's like as few friction points for us to say, I'm going to buy this, mm-hmm. whether it's Google, Facebook, Amazon. A lot of the energy spent right now at these companies is how do we make it easier to purchase things? Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult. This isn't easy. But it's, I love the idea of like us owning that. Totally. To, yeah. And thinking about like, again, increasing the friction points. And by the way, it's also, I mean, just think about health wise too. It's the same thing, right? I mean, it's it's so easy. I mean, just think about delivery today. It's so easy for us to buy, to you know, to get food delivered to our door that's providing zero nutritional value and is ultimately just getting us hooked on sugar, salt, and fat. So I think part of today it's, you know, how do we increase the friction points between consuming the stuff that's not getting us to our best life, that's not getting us to our most fulfilled? And then how is it to reduce the friction points to the things that actually get us closer to living our best life? You know, could it be just putting your running shoes by the door? Could it be sleeping in your workout gear? Could it be, again, having an automated transaction every single month, $500 gets transferred from your bank account to your brokerage accounts? And you just don't even think about it. You just buy an S&P 500 index fund. How can you reduce those friction points? And how do you increase the friction points to consuming the stuff that's not serving you? Yeah, there's so much gold in what you just said, man. That That is amazing. Like, change it up. Change the friction points, right? Make it easy for you to be an owner, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you can set it up through your bank. You just gotta, You just got to go online one time, link it up, and then you're doing the right thing every month in and month out that's right i love that right. yeah do, i do love the idea time. they're not going to do it for us right it's in the, so it's in our best interest to look out for ourselves yeah that's not their job yeah it's not their job and it's by not. the way i also yeah. admire the fact that you know when you think about you know, like you use a company like facebook for example you know facebook didn't exist in 2004 and you think about how many people Facebook employees around the world, you think about all of these apps, you think about all the developers. I mean, this is all good stuff. I mean, I'm glad we have it all today. Um, you just need to think about how is it serving you personally? And some of them, it might make sense to have, but you just, you really have to think about though, again, you have to be your own, you have to set your own rules and your own boundaries. And I talk, I'll, I'll use this example. For people who are sports fans out there, Think about your favorite sport. It could be soccer. It could be basketball. It could be football. You know, what makes the sport so compelling? It's the rules. It's the boundaries, right? You know, soccer is a beautiful game, but it wouldn't be a beautiful game if you could just take the ball off the ground, you know, run and throw it in the goal, right? When you think about basketball, like if Shaquille O'Neal could just throw everyone to the ground, rip the ball out and run to the basket and dunk, it wouldn't have been a compelling game. Pretty sure, right? pretty sure he did that, he, but. <laughs> <laughs> but. But you think about the, 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 beauty in, yeah. the beauty in sports though, is in the boundaries. Yeah. And I think with our lives, I think applying that to our lives is to like, we need to be the ones that create those rules and boundaries for ourselves. And that's where the beauty lives. Love that. You mentioned basketball. You're a big basketball fan. Uh, are you gonna? And you're from Milwaukee, right? I am. Yeah. Good Originally, call. are you gonna be okay when Giannis w- joins the Warriors? <laughs> Is that gonna be okay yeah. with you? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I've, uh, I I love what the Bucks are doing. I like the fact that they are going in a win now uh, mentality because uh, I don't know if it's the Warriors, but it, it it's it's not gonna be Milwaukee. <laughs> Speaking about yeah, basketball, they're, they're, like, is it hard for you to be a Knicks fan? I mean, I mean, you can't root for any basketball team. Well, 
<laughs> I mean, maybe <laughs> now you have the Nets, but well, okay. So, uh, so I, I grew up in Milwaukee. I lived in Los Angeles for about four years, and then I moved to New York. So I can claim the Lakers. Oh, you've got options. <laughs> I just I have options. Uh, Don't do oh, it. Don't be man. like. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Just saying. No, it's funny how. I, so when I was in college, one of my one of my best friends is a diehard Warriors fan. So it was like I I was a Bucks fan. He was a Warriors fan, and the the Bucks actually when I was in college were were pretty good, and the Warriors were were not so good. The oh, Warriors and, were terrible for most of my life. For yeah, for a long time, yeah. and uh, it's cool now to see both teams. I guess you know the Warriors were having their challenges at the moment, but man, you guys went on a uh, a pretty unbelievable run there for uh, for a while. But uh, it's funny when I was growing up, I went to um, you guys remember the basketball coach Rick Majerus. Yeah, Utah. Utah, yeah. Yeah. Utah. Um, he's from Milwaukee, and I went to his camp, and uh, it was actually it was, a, it was a pretty good basketball camp. And I remember he would always say, "If you want to model a pure shooter, watch Dell Curry." Oh, really? Wow, interesting. He goes, wow. he goes "Dell Curry is the best pure shooter in the." This is this is mid nineties. He goes, "Dell Curry is the best pure shooter in the NBA." So it's been cool wow. to watch Steph rise. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you guys that don't know basketball, Del Curry is Steph Curry's dad. So that is interesting. He create. I mean, Seth Curry can shoot too. Both of his kids can shoot. No doubt. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, I. I uh, it's gonna be interesting to see. I'm. I'm my hopes are uh, are not high for uh, Giannis staying in Milwaukee long term. <laughs> but um, but I think they have a good chance to uh, to make a run next year. They signed. Uh, who'd they get? They got a new point guard, right? They traded. Oh, they just got uh, Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday, yeah. So yeah, it's not going to be enough to keep him. <laughs> <laughs> it won't. <laughs> so Ryan, um, before we end, wrap it up, you you've given us some great advice, uh, great strategies, and you know really helped us put everything in perspective, get that right mindset. Uh, but I want to know about your TED talk you did. I heard that you did a TED talk. And uh, why don't you give us a little bit of insight on that? Because you had a really great post that I, I saw online that was kind of eye-opening. And it'd be great if you could explain to the listeners. It, 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 just if you don't know, it was basically about the fact that your whole life you had been trying and wanting that TED Talk. It was like what you were laser focused on. And then you did it. Uh, why don't you give us a little insight into that? Yeah, no, for sure. So I uh, love the question. I've been obsessed with TED Talks for as long as I, as, as long as there have been TED Talks. Um, I've just, I, I, I can just get lost in the YouTube rabbit hole on just learning different things from people. I've always admired the people on the TED stage and it was a big goal of mine to be on the TED stage someday. And, you know, 2020 has been a, a funny year in that, um, you know, it's been really difficult in a lot of respects, but in, in certain respects, it's been like the best year of my life. And I, uh, I don't know if you guys know the author, Ryan Holiday, um, but I'm a big fan of, of Ryan Holiday. He's written a couple of books, The Obstacles, The Way, Ego is the Enemy. Um, and he wrote a post in March that said, um, are you going to choose a live time or dead time? And he differentiated it between, we all have a choice to use every single time in our life as a live time or dead time. So a live time is growing, is whatever's in front of us, we're seeing it as an opportunity to get better versus dead time saying 2020 sucks and I'm just going to wait for 2021. And that post really landed with me. And I said, okay, I'm going to make 2020 just a kick-ass year. 
And I knew the book was coming out. So that was, um, you know, I knew, I knew that, that I had to look forward to something to look forward to, but something came over and I said, you know what, this is the year to do a Ted talk. Let me just, let me do it. And I ended up applying and I, I had the similar to what we're talking about today. My, my pitch was the simple path to financial independence. And that was financial independence equals intention plus ownership intentionally add back the friction points between us and spending our money and with our savings own appreciating assets. That's the path to financial independence. And I went through the application process, you know, did the whole online form, sent my whole resume and my bio. I had to do a short one minute video and long story short, I got selected and I'm like over the moon being selected. Like finally my dream is coming true. You know, there's a bit of uncertainty obviously because of what's going on in 2020, but it ended up happening. So it was an event in uh, on Long Island, you know, the New York area, and you know, it, it, you know, they had to uh, make some concessions given the fact that you know with social distancing and we're in 2020, you know, etc. Um, so when I so I was the very first speaker, and it's it was you know just waking up that morning is kind of surreal. It's like this is something I've been focusing on for over 10 years, and it's actually happening. And they were telling us that, okay, when you're done speaking, you have to leave the stage area immediately. And there was a little, <laughs> there was an area they set up um, outside with a tent and food and all that stuff that we could wait in. Um, but, but it was really windy. Um, so anyway, I get up there, I give my speech and the speech felt so good. I was prepared. I knew what I was going to say. I felt it in my bones. I got out there and I delivered probably one of the best talks I've ever given. And I walked off the stage, just jacked up, man. I was so pumped. But then, you know, they're telling you, like, you, you got to leave, you got to leave, you got to leave. So, like, I'm done talking. And next thing I know, I have someone in the headset saying, like, get off, leave, leave. <laughs> so I, I go outside and I'm outside. And the other talk, the other speakers are out there, but there's all the nervous energy. You know, people are pacing back and forth, like going over their lines. You know, some people are waiting in their cars because it's cold and windy outside. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, so they were live streaming and they're like, you know, there's a live stream you can get on your phone or there's a TV that they set up, but no one was watching the TV. And I was like, you know, no one wanted to talk to me because they were all busy, you know, doing, going over their lines. And I was like, all right, I need a place that has Wi-Fi that I can watch this live stream. And right next door was a, uh, was a Chili's. So I go to the Chili's next door and, you know, I, I sit down and say, do you guys have Wi-Fi? And they say, yes, but I had to sign up as a rewards member. So I'm now a proud rewards member of uh, <laughs> the Chili's organization. And a big day. I, <laughs> I, I sit down, I'm by myself in Chili's. There's like three people in the restaurant. And I'm like, I just gave, I, I, I just, I just delivered on a dream that had been in my head for 10 years and I was on stage for 12 minutes and five minutes later I'm by myself at a Chili's and oh, man. I'm just thinking about my wife my dog I just want to celebrate with them and they, they couldn't be there because of of the restrictions and it just made me think in this post that I wrote was like gosh I just think about all of the big moments in my life and they're over and when they're over they're over and by the way, the, the waitress doesn't know I just gave a TED talk. The other people in the restaurant don't know I gave a TED talk. Like I'm literally celebrating with nobody. So when you went to the Chili's, no one was giving you like high fives. Like, yeah, Ryan Sterling, you're the man. No, there, there wasn't a sign that said, welcome, Ryan. Like, <laughs> let, let's replay it on the, on the stream. So I was able to watch the live stream and, you know, support the other speakers. But it was one of those moments where, you know, I thought about 
you know, the most amazing part about the TED Talk was having my wife help me deliver the presentation and, you know, figuring out what I'm going to say, the, the process of going through it, the process of the application, the process of, of getting to the point now where I have this knowledge to share with the world. And I was just thinking that, like, <laughs> man, the good stuff is in the journey. Well the done. good stuff is in the process. <laughs> because when you get up there, when you, if you're just living for that monumental moment, it's done in 12 minutes. And, you know, most people don't care. And that was just a really pivotal moment in my life to say, you know what, I just, I really have to get connected to the process of everything that I'm doing. Um, Because look, you know, you can prepare for being on the free retiree show and uh, then it's over and it's over. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Great job, job, Ryan. Great job, man. No, but I appreciate that. But again, it's, um, for those out there, like it's great to have big goals. It's great to, you know, want to show up on stage and be there for the moment, but don't miss the process because the process is where the good stuff really lives. Oh, great job, man. That's love. That's amazing. How can people get your book? Tell us, tell us how we can get the book. Uh, so I think the best place is Amazon. Um, it's Barnes and Noble as well, but I'd say Amazon's probably the best place that, uh, you can get, it's called, you're making other people rich, save, invest, and spend with intention. Um, there's hardcover, paperback, Kindle copy. Actually, right now, as we're recording, the Kindle copy is 99 cents. Uh, unfortunately, that goes away at the end of next week, which would be uh, early December. But um, but follow me on LinkedIn. So I'm just the Ryan Sterling on, on LinkedIn. You can find me pretty easily. And I'll post updates when the publisher marks it down every now and then. Um, my website is ryansterling.com. You can also find the book on my personal website, ryansterling.com, which also has links to, um, all the different ways that you can work with me or just engage with my content. For the listeners, this, this is okay to consume. This is <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We're okay with cents or, or the $15 on, on the paperback. Yeah. Um, so also I have a podcast called, uh, take the next step with Ryan Sterling. And it's a, it's a personal nice. growth mindset, uh, podcast. And each week I interview someone who's taken on some sort of personal growth journey. And the goal of the podcast is to dissect the journey one step at a time. Thank you so much, Ryan, for coming on, man. We enjoyed having you. Hopefully we're going to have you on again because, you know, a lot of fun, you know, Ted talk might kick you off the stage, but the free retiree show will not Ryan. (laughs) I'm saying we'll we'll take every minute with you. (laughs) Love it guys. Love it guys. This has been so much fun. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you so much, man. Thank you, you, Ryan. We're signing off. You've been listening to The Free Retiree Show. So long for now. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated. Member FINRA, www.finra.org. SIPC, www.sipc.org. A separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed for the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is a investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McElroy are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors or Securities America Incorporated. Securities America Advisors, Securities America Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax, investment, or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. 
you should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Third-party sourced information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of Facebook, Inc. The opinions of attorney Matt McGillory do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.